Welcome to Nerds of the Roundtable, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. I'm Dwayne. And I'm Sammy. And we have, fortunately or unfortunately, reached the portion of Nerd Advent. We've come to one of my picks. And we are watching, was it 1990? I didn't check the date. 1988. I think we need to keep it 100. It's time to keep it 100. 100. 100. 100. All right, and I am first out of the gate, and I'm sticking with the Christmas theme. Um, I had another one dialed up. Um, I'm saving it for next week. But this morning, I watched something that was perfect for the holiday season. On Netflix, there is a show called The Movies That Made Us. They have a Die Hard episode, which is, of course, as we all know, is a Christmas movie. Yes. Um, now, it's, it's very interesting. Like, there's a lot of like, the details, the behind-the-scenes stuff that we all know about like, how you know, they tricked Rickman. That's why we get that you know, genuine look of fear as he's falling off Nakatomi Tower. Like, we, you know, we know those. There's other little stories, little tidbits that were fun. Um, one of my favorites, I'm just, this is I'm spoiling a little bit, but when they did the first trailer and they revealed that Bruce Willis was in this movie, the, uh, the audience laughed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was there was also like they got a lot of interviews with people I didn't expect them to get um, they had the director they had producers they had Bruce Willis's agent they had the stunt guy but the best one was Reginald Bell Johnson um, he had the best interview and they actually let him he went back to some of the locations and it was actually pretty touching pretty heartwarming so for the holiday season I recommend movies that made us the Die Hard episode alright <clears throat> and I love that Die Hard has now been picked a Christmas movie. It is set at Christmas, but it came out in the summer. <laughs> if, if you guys don't remember, it was a summer blockbuster. But it's a Christmas movie, so we'll we'll, we'll stick with that. Well, I'm up next on this lovely Keeping It 100 Christmas edition. And, well, mine's not necessarily a Christmas, uh, but it is a classic Sam, you were talking about some Agatha Christie last week, mm-hmm. and I said your mustache there started to get the twirl, reminded mm-hmm. me of my keeping at 100, so I'm going with Mr. Perot's Murder on the Orient Express. I've been listening to an audiobook of this, uh, and uh, it's masterfully written, masterfully told, uh, went back, uh, have already listened to it twice, and all the little clues that are dropped throughout it even makes it a fun re-listen. So even if you've read this thing in school or whatever, go back and give it another listen. You'll find all these little breadcrumbs through. And just a fun, fun twist and winding of a story tale by a classic author. So Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, that's cool. a quality recommendation. That's, that's top three Agatha Christie entire yep. career. Yeah. Definitely. All right, so I guess that leaves me to finish us out. So for this week's Keeping It 100, I have my first Serious XM entry to the ring. Um, 
as a lot of you know, I am a huge fan of comic book history, and a lot of my focus is the Golden Age. Um, on the SiriusXM app, Marvel has its own line of shows, okay? So I am pitching the series Marvel Declassified. This is hosted by Lorraine Sink and Evan Narcissus, both of them writers and fans. Um, the first episode is the one that got me. It is appropriately titled Origins, and it really goes into the introduction of the Human Torch, Namor, Captain America, how comics change um, and, and genres change as we leave, you know, the World War II era, move into the 50s. So it goes into a lot of that history. And what I really love is they do dramatic recreations of a lot of these key stories. Uh, them doing some of the Patsy Walker romance stuff from uh, from the 50s is hilarious. Um, but, you know, it, like I said, it del delves into that comic book history. I really enjoyed it. Uh, the second episode has dropped and, you know, it, it's going to series will continue. Um, so check out if you have Sirius XM, check out Marvel Declassified on that app. And that's my keeping it 100. Now, is that right. one of those things where they're doing the staggered release, like they'll be released as a podcast later on? Um, I'm not for sure. I know they've got Marvel's Wolverine on there also, so it may eventually. Uh, it also has This Week in Marvel uh, that does release as a podcast. Um, so hopefully eventually it will release on its own onto a podcatcher. Um, because it's, it's, like I said, it was really interesting. I liked it. Yeah, I... I I mean, you know how Facebook tailors things to you. I see that Marvel declassified ad like every day, mm -hmm. every time I walk into Facebook. Yep. <laughs> well, you know, they interview Tom Brevoort. They they interview, you know, historians and, and college professors who study this stuff. And it's just, you know, they like I said, they look at that whole history um, through the forming of the, the comics code and all that. So it's pretty cool. All righty. Well, it's now time for our opening thoughts and grades of this Christmas tale. Um, this totally 80s take on a Dickensian classic, at least in theme, if not an actual adaptation. <laughs> um, it's very, very interesting, uh, to say the least. Uh, this movie, uh, you know, 80s has a particular style. It has a particular panache, I guess you could say. It's just, it's all little cocaine. Thing. You can see, <laughs> well, I mean, there is that sheen of, of cocaine to this movie, and, and I'll get into that. Yeah. But as, as you listen to uh, as you listen to the music, you know, it's highly compressed, highly digitized really stylized, real polished. You look at the visuals. You know, we all had the had the feathered hairspray just right. We had the we had the double breasted jackets. We had the just the the silky things and, and just so eighties. You know, it's it is what it is. And this movie is definitely of that era. From first to last, from Lee Majors coming out with a Gatlin gun mm -hmm. to Bobcat Goldthwaite, you know, it was just from beginning to end. Oh, man, do I have some thoughts about this movie. But uh, I'm going to slam down my grade here 
A B. Solid B. Okay. All right. Um, you know, it, it, Dwayne kind of talked about this being an 80s movie. And, you know, this fits perfect into that greed is good kind of mindset that you saw in a lot of big business type of 80s movies. So it, it, it's kind of a comedic turn on that, I think. Now, we also get that Charles Dickens. And I'm a huge fan of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. I read the book every holiday season. I watch at least one movie version. So this was actually my movie version this year. So thank you, Jamie. Um, so uh, it's definitely a modern take. We've got all the basics. We got the cruel miser, the lost love, the three ghosts, the undead mentor. We even get a stand-in for Tiny Tim. God bless us, everyone. Um, you know, and, and sometimes modern reimaginings can go off the rails a bit. But I think this one did. I think it's right in the middle for me. It's enough of the classic with modern context. So um, I still prefer the original, but this was pretty good. I'm going to go A for my grade. All right. Yeah, the, uh, the the complete and total skeleton of Christmas Carol is here. They just dress it up with Bill Murray and cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you guys have both alluded to, you know, what I was talking about there as well. You know, it's cocaine, it's the greed, it's the all about me. You know, one of my friends used to joke, he'd say, you know, what's uh, what do you call $20 from an ATM machine. Shippy food stamps. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to even pretend. I'm, I don't know if I've ever been less objective <laughs> on an episode of Nurse the Round Table. I just love this movie. I love the humor. Um, it gets a little heartwarming at the end. Um, and, after after a romantic phase, you get heartwarming <laughs> at the end. Uh, it, it sure it looks dated. Uh, there's a few moments where it's pretty clear Bill Murray needs to go to rehab. Uh, but for my money, this is the best Christmas Carol movie there is. A plus. <laughs> <laughs> it's in my personal no, water. <laughs> well. You know they couldn't have turned the fans on too much for blowing over on the white powder. But let's go ahead and give this movie our fans. All right. So I guess I'm leading off on fans, gentlemen. Um, and I think I really have to go, you know, the ghosts themselves are probably my favorite part of this movie. Um, from David Johansson's Ghost of Christmas Past, Carol Kane's Christmas Present, um, the weird role for John Forsyth as, as Lou Hayward. I mean, that's just a strange role for him. Um you know, these psycho specters are perfect for the tone of this movie. Um, the one that stands out the most is Carol Kane, obviously. Um, because, face it, she's playing her best Glinda the Good Witch. Um, but she's given a weird fairy twist 
in this. Um, think about her voice and mannerisms. I'm telling you, she is trying to be Billy Burke's Glenda as a off the wall ghost. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's my biggest fan. I just love the way these ghosts are characterized and, uh, we'll probably talk more about Carol Kane later on in the awards. So I'll leave it there. We certainly will. Uh, <laughs> I'm up next. And basically all I have to say is same. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have any backups this week because I thought I was going to be the only one that loved the ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never really liked Carol Kane. I wasn't sure. Um, but I, I do love the way they reimagine the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. And mm-hmm. reimagine them for a Bill Murray 1988 comedy. Um, I just, I, I, I love them. They, they amuse me. Um, I love, I, remind me the, guy, the guy's name, Ghosts of Christmas Past. What was his uh, name? David again? Johansson. Yeah, I, I guess that's how you'd say his last name. So it won't stick in my brain. <laughs> yeah. I, I looked it up and it still wouldn't stick. Uh, but I love the scene where he's in watching, you know, Bill Murray do his TV show and he's screaming along with the kids. It's just so <laughs> it's so wild, you know, it's just all it's every a phone. <laughs> But and and I love the way Carol Kane just slaps around Bill Murray. It's perfect and Chris the Future's a little weak. The effects, they don't hold up. But I just, I love the way they reimagined those for a modern, zany, cocaine-fueled version of Christmas Carol. (laughs) Yeah, the ghosts were a ton of fun. But uh, my fan was a complete trope of a lot of 80s movies, and especially the later 80s movies like this. The cameos. You just had random people showing up at random times. And even if they had a role like Buddy Hackett, it was still kind of a glorified cameo. Robert Mitchum's character is, you know, like two cameos in the movie. Uh, But you had, I mean, even if you look at the street musicians, did you guys notice who those were? You had Miles Davis. Paul Schaefer, David Sanborn, and Larry Carlton. I mean, legends of jazz and pop. You had, oh, what was the what was the crooner's name at the beginning uh, in the boat? You know, he was a thing. And then you had Lee Majors coming in rescuing Santa Claus. In the, yep, you had Mary Lou <laughs> Rett, <laughs> my Olympic. Crush from the 80s, Mary Lou Retton. And how ridiculous is it to have a gymnast as Tiny <laughs> T? <laughs> I mean, just how absurd can you go and still keep a half a straight face? <laughs> you know, that was that was my just 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 the randomness and absurdness of those cameos. And yes, the ghost of Christmas past, uh, David Johansson. I'll have a little bit more on him here in a bit. Awesome. You know, I noticed uh, Paul Schaefer. I did notice him, but I didn't notice the uh, recognize the other ones right off. Yeah. So. Well, when I heard when I heard the tone of that trumpet, because Miles has a unique sound. He plays with that mute, really mm-hmm. hard, really hard muted trumpet. And I noticed it was a, a, a fellow of color. And I said, I know those guys. And of course, I'm in the deep dive of music, so I, I dug it up, and I'm like, Oh my goodness, 
this is exactly who I thought they were. Cool. I I, yeah. I can't look away from Bill Murray if he's on screen in this movie. <laughs> no, well I, I mean Bill Murray. Anything about that man? <laughs> you know, and and that could be a, a fan of all of ours. I mean, Bill Murray in in his you know feathered hair coked out phase just <laughs> devours the scenery in this movie. That, that hair deserves a line of the credits all its own. Guys, if we keep mentioning this, we're going to have to do the Sesame Street. Today's episode of Nerds of the Roundtable is brought to you by the letter C. <laughs> <laughs> all right, gentlemen. Well, you know when those ghosts come around, you heard chains rattling? Or maybe they were rattling some pans. All right, Jamie, this is your baby. You've been rocking it. Do you have anything? I've got tons. This is not a perfect movie. (laughs) 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 Let me get the Dwayne quote right. This is not a perfect movie, but I love it perfectly. (laughs) Um, The the biggest one um, is (laughs) the, the one thing you cannot say about this movie is that it's subtle. There's nothing subtle about this movie, okay. except for one thing. They try to do subtly, and it and it and it's a big flaw. So we go straight from Frank inside the coffin. His feet are on fire. He's getting ready to die. He wakes up, and he's instantly a changed man. And I think we're supposed to gather from that that somehow him having to face his own mortality made all of the lessons that he had learned, all the little things that had been, that had been tried to cram into his head, throughout that entire movie, made it all click. But they never actually outright address it. And so he goes straight from that. Well, he's been a horrible guy up until that second. I mean, nothing has been learned yet. And then when he comes out of that coffin and he wakes up back on the set, he's a different person. We have this huge manic (laughs) episode (laughs) on the set of their Christmas Carol. But they don't ever actually address what was like, that, that it was that, the, the facing of his mortality that, that made everything click into place for him. They don't ever actually address that, and it makes the change feel too sudden and too abrupt. And, and it, and it kind of makes that last moment hard to buy. Uh, and also, his pupils are crazy because of cocaine. Makes it hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I didn't know. Uh, he, he was, I don't know if he was overacting or underacting or what, but when he was clinging to the coffin, I just felt like he was doing it almost sarcastically. There, there's a couple of those. What when, when he's when he's in his childhood home and he's working at Tears. I mean, you don't buy that for a second. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of moments here where Bill Murray kind of drops the ball, and um, the coffin's one of them. In his parents' house is is another one. There's a couple of those. I may have just stole somebody's pen. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> oh no, that's fine. I, I can I can throw my pen down right now, and it's not going to take me a minute. But man, we 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 all sucked in the '80s. <laughs> we were just greedy, rude, <laughs> vulgar, unapologetic jerks. Um, <laughs> I mean, this movie makes you think. Wow, we 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 really had uh, we really had uh, you know not not that we have anything straight nowadays, but man, we were you know we just had a whole other set of problems. <laughs> That's kind of funny. We had a jerk a jerk issue in the last episode too. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this is true. Sam, what say you, my man? Okay, you know, 
Jamie, you, you talked about this idea that that some things are very abrupt. You know, the change is very abrupt. Um, I thought that the relationship between Frank and Claire was tough to buy because it changed so quickly. When, when, you know, when they're in the apartment together and they're young, they seem so happy. And then all of a sudden he's in a dog costume and they hate each other and she walks out. You know, I mean, I mean it's just like this boom. But despite all that, she still bears, you know, this love for him the entire time and shows up on the set just because he calls her in a, you know, coke field rage. But, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, but so, you know, I just that relationship part was really tough for me. Um and I like Karen Allen, you know, and, and, you know, I liked her in this role, but that, 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 the love and the flirty back and forth with them, I just really had a tough time with buying that as a relationship. I mean, she seemed like such a nice person and it's like, why in the world would she want to be around this jerk? So it's well, here's the 80s. Well, here's what you'll catch if you watch this movie every year for Christmas. Uh-huh. Uh, Claire's crazy too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're both crazy people. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I picked up on that too. She's she's not all together all together anyway. <laughs> once, once you get a handle on how messed up they both are, and they're, they're kind of bent the same ways, like you kind of buy it after that. I don't have a problem with that relationship anymore. So, so, so the dysfunctional relationship <laughs> works. <laughs> the dysfunction functions. <laughs> It wrap, it's so dysfunctional, it wraps around to functional by the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've talked our fans, we've talked our pans. Um, I know Frank's character, Bill Murray's character, Frank, in this movie, really loved getting those network awards. So let's just see if we can find any awards for this thing. Graphically Novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not-so-classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically Novel, three brothers who like each other but love comics. As long as we don't shoot them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm up with the first uh, award, um, and uh, i already given a, an allude to this. I'm going to talk about The Ghost of Christmas Past. Singer for the New York Dolls, Buster Poindexter in the 80s, David Johansson's portrayal of the ghost of Christmas past, how over the top he is, how just smarmy and just, just, you know, he's just as what he is. It's a bone. You know? <laughs> he's just so loud and obnoxious. And he was perfect for this movie. And he was a perfect foil to to bring Bill back to his past and show him where you know things originated, where some things went right and some things went wrong. But I loved seeing Buster Poindexter in this thing. I had forgotten his name again already. <laughs> <laughs> I think I figured out why. His name doesn't match him. Some people like 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 look like their name. Like some people don't. Yep. He really mm-hmm. he doesn't look like a David Johansson. Doesn't look like a David Johansson. No, that's why that's why Buster Poindexter. When I seen him and I was like David Johansson. That's not that's, that's and then oh that's Buster Poindexter. Yeah, <laughs> he actually looks more like a Buster Poindexter. <laughs> Ridiculous as that is. Um, uh, mine's easy. I love Karen Allen in this movie. 
as crazy as Clary is and as bonkers and dysfunctional as she is with Frank, I just, I, I love her performance in this movie. Um, she's clearly got issues, but also a really big heart. And she's just this charming, caring person. And I just, I love the way Karen Allen plays that role. And I think if, if she doesn't play Claire the way she does, um, I think we like Frank even less. And so we, we need her to do what she's doing in this movie. So, so she works almost to helps to, uh, to redeem Frank, really, I guess. She's kind oh, yeah. of part of that. Um, well, you know, Dwayne went to Christmas past. I've got to go to Christmas presents for my best performance. And I'm going to go with Carol Kane. Um, she's just great. Uh, this was a hilarious performance. This demure little firecracker playing the physical comedy to the perfect pitch. Uh, it was just great. Uh she, she just this violent little pixie. I mean, oh my gosh! Uh, and and really, she plays so well against Bill Murray's Frank, and they play so well off each other. I just really, really enjoyed that performance. <laughs> oh, Jamie's fixing his nose. <laughs> we have our episode title now. <laughs> <laughs> Violent Pixies? <laughs> Violent Little Pixie. A review of Scrooge. <laughs> uh, Alright, uh, Sammy, you're up again for best scene. Okay. Um, I'll make this quick. The opening commercial. I mean, <laughs> where else can we see Lee Majors and Santa Claus team up to defend the North Pole Workshop against enemy agents? Just the farcical nature of that. And the fact that Santa exclaims, The six million dollar man! Notice he didn't say the fall guy. He said the six million dollar man. Because mm -hmm. Santa knows his stuff. And he knows what's good. So, uh, yeah. A little bit of nostalgia for me there. <laughs> uh, but cracks me up nonetheless. <laughs> I'm going to tell my wife you said that. She loves the fall guy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we, we both agree on Danny Kay, so I mean. <laughs> my, my favorite moment from that scene was when Santa goes, this Santa goes out the front door. <laughs> uh, well, my best scene piggybacks off of Sammy's best performance. Every single second that Carol Kane is in front of a camera in this movie is the best scene. Just period. <laughs> Uh, from when she's doing her, her weird growl in his ear to hitting him with the toaster. I mean, just all of it. Everything that Carol Kane does is the best scene. Well, Sammy, I see your Lee Majors. Jamie, I see your Carol Kane. But I raise you a Bobcat Galtwaite. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot's rage at the end um, after Bill Murray's, you know, turn there when he's got the shotgun and he's in the office and he's going nuts. Uh, hello rabbit. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> Just great. I love crazy Bobcat. And even when Bobcat is gone off the deep end, crazy. I love it. 
Okay, well, I'm going to jump straight into my best character because I picked L. Hit Loudermilk as played by Bobcat <laughs> And he looks like an Elliot Loudermilk in this movie. Like, a lot of the times, like, a lot of roles he plays, I wouldn't have put that name on him. He, the moniker fits in this movie. And I just, I love how good a guy he is at the beginning. I love like, him trying know. to play straight. I love him <laughs> trying to play straight. <laughs> and then he's slowly getting more and more drunk. Getting more and more disheveled, and then by the end, he's got the shotgun and he just lost it. I love, I love Bobcat in this movie. Alrighty, well, I'm gonna jump in here next. Uh, Jamie, uh, you kind of took one of mine. Sam, you took my Carol Kane uh, for best performance. Jamie, you took my Carol Kane also for best scene. So, um, best character, I'm just going merrily written. <laughs> Okay, enough said. Enough said. Nothing more needs to be said. Merely written. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that brings me to mine. And it's been a while, gentlemen, since any of us have pulled a cheat. Because I've got a two-way tie. And there's a reason I have a two-way tie. Okay? Yeah. There's a lot of great actors, cameos and leads in this, right? But both of these actors I'm going to mention have been part of one of my largest fandoms in my life. And that is Superman. Okay? In this movie, John Glover plays Bryce Cummings and Michael J. Pollard plays Herman. Uh, And both of these, I think, work really well in the midst of this movie. Um, We need Bryce to push Bill Murray over the edge. We need Herman to, to almost be that, that sympathetic push in, in, in a, in a few scenes. Okay. But, and they, they worked out so well. So, but both of them are connected to Superman. John Glover played Lionel Luthor in Smallville. It's hard to recognize him without the beard, you know, but he did. And Michael J. Pollard was mixed. Mr. Mixia Spitalik. In season one of Superboy. <laughs> oh my. And wore the full costume. It was crazy. But, um, <laughs> but you know, but, but both of those characters, I think, were integral for, for the parts that they played. And so I kind of chose them as my dual best characters. <clears throat> I don't even, I mean, John Glover is just Lionel Luther to me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't even. <laughs> it's going to be even... a moment. In this movie, to go, I know him. Who is that? And then it finally hit me. It's like, that's John Glover. So, well, he's got he's got some crazy hair on Smallville too. Yeah, it's yeah. not just the beard. It's a good, it's a completely different look. Yeah, and this is not <laughs> a review of Smallville. Sorry, Dwayne. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Um, I thought I was going to pull a, a Star Trek uh, character there, uh, Alfie Woodard. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought about it. I thought about I was it. Trying to, I was trying to think who had been in Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> There are no Brits in this. I thought Alfred Witter was a little underused, personally, but that's just me. Yeah, yeah. She she has been uh, pretty much a lot, I think. If well, she had more screen time, she'd have been a uh, a real candidate for best character. Yeah, I think so. so. Yeah, she, she had a strong character for the time she was on screen. Well, this brings us to best quote. 
Guys, you've already said mine, at least part of it. But at the very beginning, commercial, Lee Major says, Santa, you got a back door to this place? <laughs> Santa says, of course I do. But this Santa's going out the front door. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't get any better for my money. <laughs> Let me jump in and make sure Sammy doesn't steal another Carol Kane moment from me here. Um, <laughs> that is a great Santa quote, though. I love that. Um, so <laughs> I just love the way she just beat him up. There's one, I've got a favorite threat, though. She, she pulls him close and says, don't vex me, Frank, or I'll fix your mouth so it won't hold soup. <laughs> such a strange threat. I love it. Well, I wasn't going that way, actually, sir. Um, you know, the, the the line that I pulled actually comes from a scene we've already discussed. And I agree completely that Murray doesn't sail the same whale, okay? But it's the ghost of Christmas past. It's Buster Poindexter, David Johansson, that, that sails it for me. When Frank goes... I get it. You're taking me back in time to show me my mother and father, and I'm supposed to get all gooey and blubbery. Well, forget it, pal. You got the wrong guy. And the ghost says, That's exactly what Attila the Hun said. But when he saw his mother, Niagara Falls. (laughs) (laughs) And And I'm just saying, you know, the Mongol... Lord crying at that point. You know. The one from Bill and Ted, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was Genghis Khan. That was it? Genghis Khan, that's sure. right. Yeah, well. Uh, and I, I love that he, he calls it back, too. Because when he, when he goes inside and he's doing his horrible crying, and he's like, Niagara Falls. You know, he's just <laughs> like, yep, he called it. <laughs> oh... Well, our next award is the one of the episode specifics, and it's Best Bill Behaving Badly. And yes, Stanley wrote that award. Um, <laughs> there's, there's lots of things Bill Murray does in this movie that make him very unlikable. Sammy, what was your favorite? My favorite has to be when, after the TV promo has aired, and... He, and, and Frank is told that this woman has literally had a heart attack because she was scared to death. And he exclaims, this is terrific. I knew that ad worked. You can't buy publicity like this. Yep. That's a, that's a yep. really good bad one. Yep. <laughs> That's a good one. I don't think it tops him being a jerk at the shelter, though. Just that's like, oh man, you know. I, I had another one, you know, of when where he was watching a Bobcat after he'd fired him, you know, out the window with the telescope. But <laughs> I swear, and, and it, it went up a notch when I seen him being such a jerk at the shelter. You know, talking about how incompetent the workers were, the volunteers actually, and yeah, it was it was bad. Yeah, that was mine too, and it's and it's the juxtaposition because like but then when that scene before he turns being evil, he's reuniting with Claire. They're about to go out. They're about to have a you know. You feel like maybe he's turned a little bit of a corner there, and he and just the, goes right back, snaps, and 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 it and it's the line when he, when he tells her to scrape him off. It just shows how how, how heartless and cruel he yeah. is at that moment. 
Yeah. Okay, so the last one um, is it's a real it's a real bit of honesty. Um, <laughs> this movie wants to be heartwarming. Does it quite get there? <laughs> so the last <laughs> award is best. You know, if you squint a little, that's actually kind of heartwarming. Um, this this movie. I mean, it never gets dusty. And I think it wants you to. I think it wants you to cry with Frank in his house. I think it wants you to get all emotional during Bill Murray's manic rant at the end. It, I never get there. <laughs> this is just a funny movie to me. But when Calvin finally speaks for the first time, that one does get me a little. That's the closest it ever gets to getting dusty in the room. But when Calvin walks up, says the Tiny Tim line, and speaks for the first time, we see his mom get emotional. That's the closest this movie gets to being actually heartwarming. For my money. Okay. I like it. I like it. Well, you know, you guys have, have mentioned Loudermilk a few times, right? And throughout the movie, we get these little vignettes about how bad his life has gotten. Um, you know, he loses his house, he loses his wife, he, he ends up on the street, and then it finally pushes him over that edge. You know, but there's something heartwarming at that moment when we get that payoff. When he comes in to kill Frank, and then you get the Reformed Cross offering him the vice presidency, a raise, even offering to give him his office. Even though he doesn't want that office, he doesn't <laughs> like that office. You know... <laughs> There, there's something heartwarming. Yeah, that change is quick. I get it. But but there's something I like about that. Because poor Loudermilk, who was just trying to be a, a good guy, had all these problems. And then all of a sudden, I'm going to give you the vice presidency, bud. I like that. Yeah. Well, you know, there there's a couple scenes there where they where they want you to think that Bill Murray can be a good guy. And I think those really shine the most when he meets uh, Marion, I mean, uh, Claire on the street. And, uh, you know, they, they bump heads. He's trying to be charming, picking up her package. He's trying to, you know, he's trying to clumsily ask her out. And then you see their first Christmas together when they're sharing gifts. <laughs> and then he turns, then, like, right almost directly, he starts to turn into the jerk. And then he turns in, you know, and then you see him on the set with the dog. And he, but for those few minutes right there, when they, when they first meet in the first little bit of their Christmas, you can almost buy him being an Oscar. You can almost buy him being a, a, a genuine person. So that, that was mine. Well, there but was, go ahead. There wasn't generational improvement there. His dad was handing out veal. He got her Ginsu knives. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> Generational improvement. Yeah. And that was a big thing. That's all I got. And that, and inf that was a big infomercial. So, I mean, hey, that was a big thing, getting Ginsu knives. You know, it could cut a can. I think she beat him, though. In the gift department. Yeah. <laughs> well, someone we never have to worry about being a nice guy. Someone we never really truly have to worry about his skill with a knife after seeing him in John Wick. Keanu Reeves. I don't think he's been in a Christmas movie. Maybe I'm wrong. Jamie can clue me in at some point. 
I'm sure he's familiar with his filmography as we've connected Keanu to all of these movies so far. But how does Keanu connect to this Dickensian classic, Scrooged? That was a good, that was quite a build up. I'm not going to live up to that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, just by way of preface, this movie was made in 1988. So just bear that in mind. Okay, here we go. They're actors who get famous for and or who can't escape their distinctive voices. Think of Gilbert Gottfried. That voice got him work. It almost certainly ruled him out of certain kinds of movies. Can you imagine a Gottfried rom-com? How about him playing a rocket scientist? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but, but then there are people... Like... A equals MC squared. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But then there are people like James Earl Jones, whose voice is iconic and perpetually kept him working. Or Morgan Freeman, who should introduce every movie ever made. There are a couple of those voices in this movie. Carol Kane. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's great stuff. Uh, but probably not for every role. Um, but you don't get anyone mixed up with Carol Kane. Then there is Bobcat Goldthwaite, whose last name I can't pronounce, who in this movie plays fired executive Elliot Loudermilk. Now that's a voice that never gets confused with anything. Uh, and when he does voice work, you never have that moment where you're like, I know that voice, but I can't place whose it is. You just go, hey, it's Bobcat. <laughs> He played a character <laughs> in the TV show, Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, named XL. Keanu, Keanu shared some screen time with Buzz Lightyear as Duke Kaboom in Toy Story 4. <laughs> They've shared space with Buzz Lightyear. That's all I've got. I know it's a <laughs> trick, but Bobcat is this week's Keanu connection. <sighs> <laughs> And that was the Keanu connection. Bobcat never lets us down. And I don't think he ever comes down. (laughs) 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 Well, guys, I truly hope you've enjoyed this review of uh, this classic movie, Scrooge. As much as we've enjoyed watching it and reviewing it, uh, this, this movie was a ton of fun. But next week, Jamie, why don't you tell us what treat we have next week? <laughs> uh, I'm not, I don't think we're quite certain yet. Um, we're trying something new next week. We're doing, um, instead of a review, we're doing a preview. Um, we're doing all of 2021 in preview. And um, we probably... Since everything in 2020 has been canceled. <laughs> <laughs> we have nothing to review. Yeah. <laughs> It's 2020 all over again. All those movies that we, that we wanted to watch, we'll get to. Uh, maybe. I hope. Gosh, I hope. Fingers um, crossed. Yeah. I need to see Black Widow and Dune. <laughs> get it together, the world. Um, but we're going we're gonna to look ahead to, and maybe some things we don't normally review. Um, some, maybe some, some mediums that we don't normally talk about. Some things we're looking forward to enjoying in 2021. And so we'll, <laughs> we'll flesh the idea out, out further. And uh, we'll see how this goes next week. It's an experiment. Sometimes they blow up. Well, I think it's going to be a blast looking forward to what's coming up because, you know, like we were referring to earlier, everything in 2020 was canceled. When you look at movie theaters this year, your top movies were what? 
Jaws, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and E.T. <laughs> you know, this is 2020, folks, not 1979. Well, gentlemen, this year has been a blast. I truly have enjoyed uh, this podcasting venture with you. And as we prepare to look forward to 2021, what are we going to do, Jamie? We're going to forget 2020 as we move forward and keep it nerdy. <laughs>